0: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Healthy Indoors Show. I'm Bob Krell, publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine. Uh, We've got an interesting show again today. Um, Joining us live from Ottawa, Canada, coming coming across the border, um, is uh, Donald Weeks. Uh, Don Weeks has uh, worked for 45 years in the environmental and occupational health field in the U.S. and Canada, and his specialties include indoor air quality investigations, mold inspections, and he spells that with a U, uh, project designs Mm. and remediation monitoring and post remediation verification, uh, asbestos and lead paint inspection, project specification and abatement and post abatement monitoring. He's an AIHA fellow, a certified industrial hygienist, and a certified safety professional uh, who most recently worked in uh, for in air environmental limited in Ottawa, Ontario. He is now retired. Uh, lucky guy, and uh, works on volunteer efforts full time. Don attended attended New York University for his master's in occupational safety and health, and he's a former chair of the AIHA Indoor Environmental Quality Committee, uh, past vice president for practitioners for ISIAC, and a co-editor of the AIHA Mold Green Book, published in 2008. He is currently on the ACGIH Board of Directors, and he is also the president of the IEQ-GA. And honestly, Don, I don't know what that is.
1: Well, that's <laughs> why, don't the, we start, uh, why don't we
0: start with that? IEQ-GA. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, I, yeah. I don't know that one.
1: All right, Bob. Great. Good to, good to see you, guys, you and Joe. And, um, basically, the uh, IEQ-GA is the Indoor Environmental Quality Global Alliance and uh, it's an effort that was initially started uh, by uh, Bill Bonfleck when he was president of ASHRAE, and it's been going on for about five years. We just, last year in uh, November, we incorporated as a, uh, a corporation, a nonprofit corporation in Belgium. Uh, we are, have organi- organizational members, so ASHRAE, AIHA, ACGIH or uh, all members, as well as organizations from Europe, India, From uh, from um, Singapore and from uh, we're getting we're getting into South America at this point. So (laughs) the idea is to to build an international coalition of of uh, of organizations that have an interest in indoor air quality and to then present data to the field as a whole. One of our first efforts was a position statement uh, issued at the end of March, talking about the fact that there was that we believed as a group that there was airborne transmissions of COVID-19. So this is going back to the initial letter that uh, Lydia Morasca and John Melton sent to WHO saying you're ignoring a very important part of what's going on with COVID-19. And we were one of the early organizations because of the different uh, organizations that are part of the uh, IQGA, we were able to put in a very early statement to WHO and to on our website about the position that yes, transmission, airborne transmission was a very key area to look into. And as you know, it, went, it took until July uh, for them to actually acknowledge that. Uh, in the meantime, there's been a lot of, you know, inf- interesting data that's been assembled and a lot of it is, is through membership, members of the organizations that we uh, we are working with. And so I'm looking to hopefully write a book uh, or at least, uh, shall we say, edit a book on indoor environmental quality. You know, I think it's gonna be, uh, Going to be coming up very shortly as a major way in which to deal with uh, new buildings.
0: You don't sound very retired. <laughs> <laughs> you just and, and and I I neglected again to acknowledge our co-pilot co-host. Joe Medosh, the provocateur and healthy building scientist from Hayward Score. Hi, Joe. Good to see I'm you. here. You weren't here last week, so I forgot about yes. you. You weren't yes, in my
2: yes. you weren't in my show notes for this week because you weren't there last week. <laughs> yes, so Don, my initial comment on what you just talked about, as the rest of the world organizing about this, is I think that's one of the things that us as the United States have opted out of. Based upon our results and what's happened, so I don't know if we're. I understand those organizations are here, but it seems as though that's the kind of thing that we may have opted out of. You know, we defunded the WHO and a variety of other stuff in many ways. So it sounds as though we wanted nothing to do with how well you guys organize yourself, otherwise. So that's just leadership. A, yeah, that's right.
1: Well, I, I, would, I would counter that to say that uh, it is the scientists and the tech and the and the techs and the academics that are basically uh, organizing. Um, do they pay that much attention to the political side of it? No, they don't. Uh, they, they, they just work together as organizations. So if I need a quote on um, nanoparticles, I can call up or email uh, Lydia Moraska in Australia. If I need a, some information about uh, airborne transmission of what happened during the SARS epidemic, I can call or email uh, Hugo Lee in, in Hong Kong and get information about the Elmo Gardens uh, field. The advantage of having an international, Organization like this is, we don't really care about politics. We care about the science, and I think that will be a big difference as we go forward. I'm
0: what's a believer. Statement. I was going to say, what, yeah. what's your mission statement with the organization? Is it to disseminate information just to the entire to the global scientific community, or is it to uh, uh, the industry, or is it to like all the way down to like just consumers?
1: Well, it, it, it's intended to be mainly for um, individuals that are a member of these organizations, but the uh, the way in which we disseminate our information, obviously everybody has a web page nowadays, uh, so we do we do that. But in addition to that, we're you know we're going to be participating as a um, a sponsor for the postponed uh, conference on indoor air quality uh, and that's being done by ASHRAE. It has been done since 1985, I think. It's going to be in Greece in 2021 in September, and uh, we have when we were setting this up initially, we, we were getting responses from 45 different countries who uh, were sending scientists to there to, uh, to participate in this. So I anticipate that that kind of conference, you know, which is held every couple of years, will be the type of thing that the Iqga will be uh, very much involved with in going forward. Uh, the webpage, I think it's wwwiq uh, um, gaorg uh, uh, I believe. Uh, if I don't have that right, right, I'll send it to you once we get off the uh, the show.
0: Perfect. We'll get right. that up on the site.
1: So that's one of my efforts. Uh, that, but that's that's just, uh, that I just have to be president at that. That one is one that I've, I've been involved with for the last five years. The last three years, I've been involved with the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, um, which uh, uh, Joe had asked me to talk a little bit about that because I think it's an important organization. It actually predates. AIHA by one year, which we're very proud of. We actually started forming in, in 1938 um, and, and, and it has been going on ever since then. And one of the key items that everybody should be aware of is the threshold limit values that uh, they publish on a yearly basis, the T L V s. Um, they were used in 1972 uh, by OSHA to set the PELs. Um, unfortunately, OSHA has not been able to successfully update those, public, uh, those numbers However, we do every year. Uh, we we update our uh, uh, TLBs and BELs, the, the biological exposure indices, on a on a yearly basis, and it's done by our technical committees uh, that deal with those those issues, and then it comes up to the full board. So every year we vote in December uh, to to update the uh, the uh, the various uh, TLDs that have been presented by the committees. We also do physical, uh, um, uh, you know problems or issues, I should say, such as ergonomics, uh, radiation, noise. Those are also part of the TLB booklet as well. So you, you can, if you haven't been familiar with them up to date, you should definitely look into them because I think, as I said, I think they're they're they're, they're really the most recent information that's available on the, the various chemicals that are out there as well as uh, the other problems. Recently, uh, we've revived the BioAerosols Committee. Uh, uh, I'm sure, Bob, you remember a book called Bioaerosols. Coming it's from right e- over here, actually.
0: I have a copy. I've cited that yeah. so many times in expert witness testimony. I can't tell you. That's my well, go-to, one of my go-to uh, authoritative sources.
1: <laughs> absolutely. And it has been since 1999. So it does need to be updated. So the Bioaerosols Committee is in the process of updating that book. And uh, we should hope to have it out in the next year or two. Um, and so it's a major effort, to obviously, to update something of that nature, but uh, we feel it's very important uh, to do that. Sherry Marsham uh, from um, from Oklahoma and, and is the chair. Jack Springston, who you know very well, is the vice chair. Uh, and they have a, an active group that meet about once a month uh, to discuss uh, updating the chapters as we go forward. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing that book come out in the next couple of years.
2: I want to ask one question about your threshold limits that most threshold limits that are out there are for the installer or the person on site, not the actual occupant who has a greater exposure over long term. Can you explain briefly your role in that as a difference between installer versus occupant?
1: Yeah, I, I think the, the, the TLVs were originally set up for industrial uh, facilities. Um, and so they're eight hour standards. Um, and so it's exposure for eight hours, 40 hours a week type of standards they were not intended to be for consumers. You're right, uh, buildings are not necessarily the preview of the TLDs. And really, quite frankly, e- no, not either of the PELs as well from OSHA. Uh, there are other standards that are set up for that through for, for various uh, organizations like EPA, or in some cases, uh, some state agencies. Uh, here in Ontario, for example, the, uh, the Ontario Ministry of Labor sets the standards on a yearly basis as well. So. But they're really intended for more of the workplace than they are for the uh, for the consumer uh, in uh, their home or in other places of that nature.
2: Great, thanks.
0: Um, and ACGIH, you know, it, it's interesting because uh, I, I think Joe raised, you know, when Joe raised that in the in the pre-talk, you know, that you know, what's the difference between that and AIHA? And uh, yeah, uh, quite quite a distinct difference, really. But but yeah. uh, but there are industrial hygienists involved in both.
1: Well, yes, they are industrial <laughs> hygienists. It, when I came up, you know, a long time ago, recognizing that uh, I'm, I'm a, you know, one of the older gentlemen in in this area, uh, 45 years ago, you were expected to join both. Uh, that was just that was just part of the the uh, you know what you did to become an industrial hygienist. Um, and really, the, wic- the way I look at it is 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 there's another group that that's involved that used to be known as A B I H and it's now a uh, global uh, something, I forget what it is, but, it, but it, ABIH is absorbed into it. They were involved with the CIH designations, and they were set up by AIHA back in the 1960s to, 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 as a separate body for that particular purpose. So, ABIH is really for professionalism, you know, that you want to show that you're a CIH. AIHA is for the professionals. You are a member of the profession. AC, ACGIH is for the profession itself it's setting up the standards for the profession. So it shows where you should be going, what you should be doing, what do you need to know in order to do a full evaluation of uh, the facility that you're looking at. So it's really a separate in that regard. Those three organizations work together very closely, but they do have separate reasons why they exist.
0: No, th- thanks for you know clarifying that, because that's I think that's for a lot of the uh, viewers. It's uh... I believe it's probably an area that, you know, people can't really define. I've been in the industry 34 years and I couldn't have given a succinct answer as you did. just the, the, Anyway, but so Joe was showing a graphic there. Or were you showing that?
2: Uh, no, showing I brought you. up. Yeah, yeah, to the page. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Joe, for doing that. I appreciate it. We, 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 we do need members as well. As organizations do. Uh, the, the COVID-19 uh, has created some problems for us. We run a course called Fundamentals of Industrial Ventilation. Uh, it's considered the best ventilation, industrial ventilation course in the world. It's a five-day course, uh, and we wow. get people from all over the world to attend that course. But during COVID-19, we haven't been able to run that particular um, course. Our next potentially scheduled date is to September. Uh, but we almost always sell out. We get approximately 40 to 50 people each time that we run that course, and we run it three or four times a year. So it does, it does make a difference. You, you can see now we're running this, the, uh, the summer series, which is, uh, I'm involved with as well. But September 20th to 25th, the fundamentals in industrial ventilation and practical applications of use, useful equations is being g- given in Chicago at the Marriott, uh, right at the airport. So you don't even have to go into town. Uh, and basically, it is the best course. But we have special... Uh, precautions for individuals that are going to be attending that course. Everybody has to wear a respirator. We're going to be doing temperature checks. We're going to do uh, physical separation uh, to be able to run this course. We need to basically uh, also bring in equipment to show people how duct work actually works and, and what do you have to do in order to make it work correctly. So it's a very important part of what we do. And unfortunately we haven't been able to do that since obviously since March. Uh, we're hoping to be able to do these courses over the course of the, of the fall.
0: And ACJH um, has been running a summer online. That's right, series. The summer
1: series, the yeah, summer yeah. series,
0: which is which has been good. I, I, I uh, you actually got me invited to that, and I did a presentation there. I think three weeks ago. Yep. Now, everything's starting to blur together. You know, it's all these online yeah. presentations, but um, it's 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 becoming more of uh, I think, a norm. You know. Whereas like a year ago, it was it was pretty far fetched to do things online and have have, you know, this real distance learning environment, you know, for what would normally be in-person uh, educational opportunities in the industry. And I think now it's becoming a little more It is, I'll
1: give you an a, a example for, for myself personally. Um, in, in January, I was invited to come to India to do a presentation. Uh, I unfortunately didn't have the correct visa, so I didn't get to make the, the, the trip. But uh, so they wanted me in person in India uh, to give a presentation. In June, they called me up and wanted a webinar on the same subject. Uh, so I have now given one in, in, uh, in, uh, in India, in Singapore, and the most exotic place of all, Nebraska. And, and, now, and, and now we're going to be giving ones also in, in the in – the, in the, I'm going to be doing one of the summer series ones as well on, uh, on uh, the uh, mold uh, analysis analysis. Uh, which I, I had done some of that also at the AIQA meeting uh, back in January, which seems like ancient history at this point.
2: But the, the bonus that happens, Don, as is, is we all think about, it, is that there's so many great presentations where people do live, and I can maybe get your slides, but I, I don't know what you really are talking about. These webinars are now a great documentation of educational opportunities that... You know, are, are, have been recorded for the really first time in, in all of our careers. We haven't really been documenting what we talk about. So I think that's great that they've been, you're, we're stuck doing this because now other people can go back and watch some of the stuff that your, your great knowledge has been able to share. So uh, there's, yeah. a, uh, there's a bonus to this challenge of doing things virtual is that we now can go back and reference these things.
0: Yeah, and
1: it's Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, And we- I, think, I think it also means that basically we are probably going to incorporate this into anything that goes forward. Mm -hmm. Um, so any conference, any, any webinars, any type of of training that we're going to do this, this is going to be a major part of what we do.
0: So you're going to, you're going to add like basically hybrid events when you see us getting back in person, which is what something we've been doing with healthy indoors for a while. We've been, you know, live streaming from in-person events over the years. So this is, this is kind of uh, not unusual territory in our, in our uh, wheelhouse, but um, it, it's interesting that when you do a class, like I, I've been doing online training for about five years now, and you know I have a class where I have like three people from Mel- Melbourne or Australia, and then have some people from like Georgia and New York, all in the same class. It is really weird. Well, yeah, not only is it like respect- it just safe. makes the world seem so much smaller, though, you know, it's. it's yeah, but it's
2: also a, it's a green thing that, you know, people aren't getting an airplane to go somewhere. And, you know, all the challenges that go along with the impact that we're now be like, you know what, um, I, I got just as much out of it for the most part. In fact, you can get more. I can chat with you as we're talking. Those are great things that we could never do otherwise.
1: Yeah. And I think the, the, the one thing that I like about the uh, presentations is the chat room. Uh, mm-hmm. some, some of the uh, uh, participants are have excellent questions that are really important, but don't necessarily get normally asked because you're, you're kind of fumbling around or I don't want to stand up in front of everybody to make this, you know, to make this comment. Right, right, but now right. now they do it on the chat room and it works very, very well.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's even true true for training, too. Like, I, I, I'm really a, a firm believer in, like, the live face-to-face, or not face-to-face, but virtual face-to-face training, like using the Zoom platform. We've been using Zoom since it came out, where you get to see, you know, the instructor sees the students. The problem when you do just solely-based webinar stuff, and I'm not saying that's bad, but it's one directional with the exception of maybe a chat box, and it seems like that's okay for short presentations for an hour or 90 minutes, but if you're, if you're actually delivering training, you know, per se, where you're, you know, eight-hour class it's really hard to be a student on the back end of that class, just listening to a voiceover PowerPoint for eight hours. Not, you know, you're not getting there is such a thing
1: as power, power, uh, you know, PowerPoint uh, fatigue after a while. I think all of us feel it after, you know, having done things like, you know, for a full day being on a screen, but I do think that the younger uh, newer people coming into the field, that's how they're learning. I mean, that that they, I have um, an 18 year old, 19 year old, He's going his second year in engineering course. He's doing it. Uh, he's my stepson. He's doing it uh, by uh, by virtual. And, he, you know, these are not simple equations that he's working on. These are quadratic equations that he's working on. And he's doing all sorts of work in that regard. And uh, yes, it's difficult, but he's got himself uh, two screens so he can look at both of them, you know, and, and he's, he, you know, he, he interacts with the, uh, with the, with the prof by email or by text mm-hmm. so there
2: there is ways of doing it there's our book there, yeah, yeah. so i want to i want to get off training let's talk about why you're here and the thing so um bob and i both have had this book for as long as i've been in the industry it's the first one of the books you had to get and mm-hmm. believe me it set me back a little bit but uh, there are several pages that are highlighted tabbed and uh quoted in many of the things i've written up i know that bob uses this as a bible also so most people may or may not be familiar with this or like this is one of those oh yeah it's on my shelf because i saw other people got it so why don't you explain the impact that this has had on our industry because this is the one place where you can be like i'm going to co-, you could quote this in court as mm-hmm. a defense mechanism is what many people i know of use. so if you could explain more about this
1: yeah the Bioaerosols co- book came out in 1999 it was written by the bio committee of 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 ACGIH. um and you can see the the um um you know, ACGIH logo on the bottom there at the time. Um, This book was one of the first books that came out and talked about the problems with uh, microbial contamination in buildings and talked about how do you go about detecting it? What do you do in terms of recognizing it? uh, What do you do to evaluate it? And how do you basically control it? And then of course, remediation. You also wanna be in the position to do uh, appropriate remediation. These have the top experts in the field Who were involved with the book um one of them that i'm sure you know is phil mori but david miller uh you know a whole bunch of other people who were very very top-notch people uh spent a lot of time putting this book together now it was not expected to be a one-off it was supposed to be updated On a regular basis, and unfortunately, that did not occur for a variety of reasons. We don't need to get into right now, uh, but basically, it, it is going to be updated now, and and, and it is a, it, because the book is still uh, continues to sell very well. You do see it almost everywhere uh, in any course that, that that talks about microbial contamination. They refer to the bioaerosols book as being one of the the Bibles of the of this industry. Uh, if we go back and recall, uh, 1999 was. Uh, was pre pre uh, Dripping Springs, Texas. Okay, right. we're talking about going back before the, uh, the you know mold mold mania that took place in the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. So this this book really kind of set the, the standard as to what you have to look for and how you go about uh, you know dealing with mold in, in buildings, particularly in in housing, but also in other types of buildings as well.
2: I have one feedback, and Carl Grimes uses this book as a reference when people talk about. There's an indoor, outdoor, how to do mold sampling. and comparison. and he says there's one uh, in uh, condition in there. It says that it's when the occupant no longer experiences challenges or issues. That's actually in the book as a reference. to be like, you've remediated it when the occupant says, I no longer have a reaction. So yes. that is something that hardly anybody uses or uh, is concerned about. They're like, you know what? I did my test. I got a clearance test here. It says there's no more spores. Uh, But the person still is having reactions and Carl is quick to be like, well, the same book you just referenced, it also says that it's the occupant who says you finished and completed this job and nobody really wants to stand behind that or understand that it's the occupant as to why you did it and make sure that they're actually have uh, been successful. Well,
0: that's a hard litmus test. It is. It it means you actually, actually provide some value and resolve an issue. (laughs) And you interacted with the (laughs) occupant, right? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, that's basically was the, the way in which uh, these scientists and experts started in this field. Yes, sampling was part of it, but the main thing was basically open up your eyes and look. Uh, you know, and, and I, I remember, um, I think it was Phil, Phil Maury who basically said, the most important instrument that I bring onto a uh, site is the flashlight. And, and basically looking at every dark corner and underneath the building and in above by the roof or whatever else I may need to look for, that's what he used as the primary way in which he evaluated uh, buildings. Yes, he did sampling and uh, in some cases he got in trouble for doing some, too much sampling. That was what he was known for. Uh, but basically the main thing that we looked at and, and did is a thorough evaluation, a thorough inspection of the building. And that has been the bedrock for uh, bioaerosols uh, all the way through to, to this day is that that's what it's looking for, occupant satisfaction with what's, what took
2: place. Well, I think the flashlight, it's his brain. It's the flashlight just allowed <laughs> his brain to do the work. So, yeah, right. I
0: agree. I agree. And, and I, can t- I can testify to the fact, uh, I had the opportunity to work with uh, Phil on, on several projects back in the early, during the early mold rush. And we I, we got called in because we had been doing a lot of remediation in the 90s, you know, before a lot of companies got in it. And we were involved in this project in upstate New York. It was a uh, new construction, like six-month-old building that was under construction, multi-family-assisted uh, home uh, living complex. And the place was just flooded with water underneath and like the, he was, he was picking off like sport trap counts, I think like 10 million per meter, <laughs> like, like, I mean like numbers that you can't even, they're not even reasonable numbers, but honest to God, Dr. Phil Morey and I got in Tyvek suits, PPRs and crawled under this building. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, Phil, I, I can go down and pull those samples for you, dude. It's like, you know, and that was when I was like 40. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm not really comfortable. You climbing down in there and crawling through the mud on your hands and knees, you know, like 200 yards. And he, he really did. I was I, I was so impressed with him because he was just like he, he really he was a he was a leader in the industry and did some amazing stuff, but, you know, but actually would get his hands dirty, which was pretty cool. Well, I,
1: I, he was, he was a mentor to me and to many of the industrial hygienists in the field, including, you know, a lot of remediators as well. <laughs> and, uh, I should put in a little plug for the AIHA, uh, Phil Mori scholarship, um, fund. We, we got that started a couple of years ago. Uh, and, uh, we are able to give scholarships to the last two years to, uh, students, Uh, one in Baltimore and one in uh, St. Louis, Uh, you know, so if you have an extra dollar, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, give it to the Phil Maury scholarship fund. It would be certainly well appreciated.
0: Excellent. So, I mean, so, you you know, you, you mentioned, you know, 45 years in the industry, first of all, you look good for that. Um, (laughs) And now we're old, we're all old people, which I'm really troubled by Don, you know, this, that's one thing, this show doing the live weekly show is, you know, I had the opportunity to, uh, you know, meet up with a lot of people I've known in the industry forever on the show. And it just keeps illustrating the fact that we've been doing this a long time.
1: Well, I, I, was, on, I was on last week with, um, with um, you know, 2020, um, Clean 2020. And uh, I had a young industrial hygienist from AIHA there. She, she couldn't have been more than maybe 35 years old. And I told her, I said, I'm so glad to see you. So I said, I am so very, very tired of doing these types of things. It's good to have somebody young actually picking up the next uh, the next string. And I do think there is a, a fair number of young people that are interested in this field. I think after this, after COVID-19, maybe another one of the good things that might happen is that kids start looking at STEM much more um, than they did before in terms of education and industrial hygiene and health and safety and indoor air quality may be top priorities in, in that regard. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the next generation does.
0: So you really think that, well, I mean, this, I I think you're right, this could be a catalyst to spur more people in. But, you know, prior to prior to the pandemic, you know, I I was noticing, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to, you know, I was presenting down at IAQA down in Florida in February, right before this really hit heavy. And it just, you know, looking out at the audience, it was interesting. This is, there wasn't a lot of young people in the audience. It was a lot of, you know, I felt like, again, like, wow, is is there interest? I mean, do you think there is?
1: Oh, absolutely. And in fact, I'm a little surprised, Bob, since you've been involved with in- ondoor I mean, I'm sorry, online training for so long. Uh, look at your online training individuals and see what age group they belong in. That's where they're getting their information. They're not going to conferences. Right. I mean, it's nice to, for us to go to conferences and see our old friends and, you know, have a drink or two and, 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 you know, that's all great, but that's not what young people do. Um, uh, they go online and, uh, so I think there's going to be a change in that in, in, in the whole convention um, atmosphere. I don't think it's going to be that way anymore. And some of these larger shows may actually start to um, go down um, and, and, and you have to do them virtually. I mean, there's mm-hmm. attempts to do that now with expos, virtual expos, where people advertise their, um, their goods. Will that be successful would better be because that's where yeah. that's where people are getting their information I, I, I have to say I have not been in a department store in probably two or three years I have absolutely no reason to go to an department store what do I do I go online order stuff from Amazon or some other source and uh, I, that, so my my uh, my stepson I mentioned eighteen he had to get a whole bunch of stuff for his electrical engineering uh, degree he didn't go to to uh, Best Buy he, he or one of these other um, he, he ordered it online and it was delivered the next morning. Why would he go out and, and do something like that? So I think you, you may be right that they, they won't be showing up at conventions, but they'll get their information other ways.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and and I think you're ha- going to see that too. You're going to see those live, I think combination of when we do get to live events mm-hmm. again, you're going to see the hybrids. I think they're mm-hmm. going to be a lot more accepted.
2: Yeah, we had uh, AIH on and I told them that they needed to come up with um, a cool advertisement or a YouTube channel that talks about what you know uh, industrial hygienists do as you know an investigative because there was a time when all of those ci shows are in fact they're still on probably you know yes. but when those are active the community colleges that did most of the education with that they were booked up in fact you had to wait a year to get into one of those classes just because they saw it on tv and they're like that's exciting i want to get into that so we need to like promote industrial hygienists as solving the covid crisis and helping people and you know showing up at a, at a, a crime scene that where covid has been i'm telling you those are the things that people that they, they <sighs> Latch on to and like you know what I want to do that and, and I'm not do. Seen
0: a compelling show with Don Weeks and Joe Maddock <laughs> and Bob Crable crawling around in buildings and anybody's going to want to watch that. Well, oh, guess well, uh, Wait a minute. No, wait no, we have somebody, somebody. we're <laughs> doing a show right now though. Wait a second.
2: No,
0: we, we have somebody <laughs> not on CBS, roles, <laughs> though.
2: Yeah, we got somebody young and sexy and cool to play our roles and you yeah, know, you got to
1: you got oh, yeah. to get Tom Cruise to do something on this or somebody else that's uh, really young. But yeah, they could do that. But I mean, I, I think. The interesting thing is AIHA is doing something called IMIH, which you may have have talked to um, uh, Larry about. But in addition to doing that kind of campaigning among kids, and they're Mm -hmm. putting a lot of effort into Mm -hmm. that, they're also doing comic books. Uh, I don't know if you've seen their comic books, but I I participated in one of them that was about indoor air quality, about investigating investigating an abandoned uh, hospital. And going down into the basement and then being overcome by some kind of fumes of some sort, and then getting a real industrial hygienist to come in and do the testing. So they are trying to make those efforts to get you know people to uh, that are younger to get involved in this particular field. And I think it also is economic driven. Uh, I mean, let's face it: if you can't get a job as you know working a, as a, a engineer in building another. Um, oil field here in Canada, you're going to do something different. You're going to go into environmental. You know, if you, can't, if you can't get a job as an electrical engineer because the grids are already being torn down for some other way of getting electricity, you might go into green buildings and start figuring out how to do energy in that regard. So I think there's going to be a change. I, I keep telling people this really isn't 2020. By the COVID-19 standards, we're really at 2030 right now. We, we've skipped a whole decade ahead in terms of what we're going to have to do. And I think we're really going to see how things are going to happen very, very rapidly, particularly because of the economics. People are going to look for jobs. and Once they start mm-hmm. looking for jobs and they see it's in green buildings, it's in green energy. It, you know, here in Ontario, uh, actually, it, the federal government has offered to the school that my uh, my wife works for, was city college out, which is a small uh, college, uh, sort of like a community college type. They do trades. OK, they do uh construction, they do um, you know, biological, um, uh, they do all sorts of medical, dental, uh, all sorts of different types of trades. So how much uh, emphasis is the government putting on that? Substantial, they just increased their budget substantially to build new buildings in order to house where people are gonna work in that, that area. And I think it's really attracting more people into that area because I think they see that as being the, the new thing that's gonna happen over the years.
0: So that that raises you know I have to go broach this subject. So you you were born in New York. Yes I was. You're a transplanted New Yorker. Um yes. you know you're in Ontario, Canada. You've been there a lot of years. I think as long as I've known you, right?
1: Yeah, 15 years. So that's oh, about Oh no, no long so
0: long. okay, I knew you before that. So I guess yeah. before you moved up there. Um so you you have a dual perspective probably a little bit, right? Yes I um, do. Um <laughs> you know
1: um, I'm, a, I'm still an American citizen. So, so.
0: So but things are things are handled a little bit different there. I mean, this COVID response, you know, I, I mean, obviously, Canada's is one tenth the population in the United States, you know, similar geographic size, but one tenth the population. So it's, it's more densely populated down t- towards our, our end of your country um, or their country, because I guess you're still an American. Uh, but it, the response has been different, you know, and it seems like Canada's appears, at least statistically, to have done a better job of flattening the curve. And, um, you know, what, what, what have you, what has Canada done differently and what kind of a perspective does do Canadian, I'm just curious what Canadians perspective is on how we're handling it. I guess.
1: <laughs> I, I, I'm <laughs> going
0: to, I'm going to go there. Cause I just, I'm, i I want to hear from a Canadian perspective.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, let me, let me give you the, the good news first. Okay. About what we've done <laughs> here in Canada. And then we'll go for the bad news about what we think about the United States and what they're doing. Um, the good news is that, that very early on, uh, in, um, in early March, uh, there was a coordinated effort on the part of the federal governments and the, um, and the various provincial governments to work together uh, very closely. Um, you know, we, had, we have a, a conservative um, prime minister, I'm sorry, conservative uh, premier in Ontario, uh, Doug Ford. Um, you might remember his brother. He used to be the uh, mayor of, of Toronto.
0: Oh, I do remember him.
1: <laughs> yes, you do, don't oh, you?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Story. So he's
1: very conservative. Uh, Dave Doug Ford. Uh, he was really trying to cut expenses because the you know our, our deficit was astronomical. As soon as the COVID uh, nineteen hit, uh, he worked very closely with the federal government, which is liberal. All right, under Pierre uh, Pierre. Um, I'm sorry, Justin Trudeau. Uh, and, and they have been working closely for the last four months uh, on, on these issues. And that's also applies to Saskatchewan, Alberta, all the way across the entire country. All the premiers have gotten together and worked with the federal government in a very close fashion. And they've come up with consistent um, you know, ways in which to deal with that. Now with some little you know, j- uh, j- jiggles here and there, you know, Quebec is always a little bit different because they speak French. Uh, but and, and then they also have a different way about social uh, social uh, interaction. Um, most of their um, their outbreaks have been in uh, in uh, long term care facilities uh, and also in bars. Right, frankly, um, they they have uh, cafes and bars much more so than other places. But a consistent federal presence in th- this whole discussion has made it much easier for us to flatten the curve. Uh, ha- and, and in actual fact, we're still in the process of doing phase three, which is one stage away from doing a complete back to what we were. With stage three, we are still expected to wear a mask going into any type of public space, uh, no matter where you are. Uh, We're still working on figuring out how to do uh, restaurants um, and not an easy situation, but we have- That's challenging. It is a challenge. And then summertime, you can do things out on the patios. You can do things. They actually close off streets where they have set up mm-hmm. where people can, uh, can eat and drink. Um, so they've worked together uh, and there's been barely a, a dissent. So here's our conservative pre- uh, premier. He's, in, he's, he's working closely with the federal government. He's praising the federal government in many ways. Uh, a bunch of uh, demonstrators have shown up at, uh, at the parliament in uh, Toronto protesting that they want everything reopened right away. You, you may be familiar with those type of people in the States. Uh, they, but they usually
0: lot. they usually have assault rifles here though
1: yes we don't have assault <laughs> rifles but so they were protesting so he gets up and they ask him what do you think of it and he says you know you think i'm going to make my decisions on a bunch of yahoos <laughs> so we're standing out front this is from the conservative side of it okay and so they they he knew what he had to do now it may have helped it may have helped that his mother was in long-term care too that may have you know been some personal
0: but this should be apolitical, Don. Yeah, I mean, this I should know. be. A, this is science. This is like it's science. I mean, but it, it's you know, that's what frustrates the hell yeah. out of me because it should, this, this really shouldn't be a partisan issue. It should be. We should all. We've got a crisis. It's a national, uh, international mm-hmm. crisis, a world crisis, and we, we actually should be working together. You know, all conservative and liberal factions shouldn't be fighting on this. There should. There should. There should be some form of consensus, I think. You know.
1: I would I would agree with you. Uh, but I do think that at some point it's gonna be fatigue. Um, I think we're getting to that point right now and uh, here. But we have really flattened the curve. I mean very few cases left in, in Ontario. A little bit more in Quebec because of what I was talking about that you know they have some more difficulties controlling crowds in, in terms of Montreal and things like that. But it's all coming down to a, a lot less area of, of a problem. So what did we do? One of the first things we did so we closed the border, okay? We, mm-hmm. we said no they more We didn't build Americans. a wall
2: yet, though, but no, 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 I'm waiting, but I'm waiting for the northern it. wall. We're wait, thinking wait. about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, you guys have a wall. Going across that border is a wall. What <laughs> <laughs> yeah. do you want? You don't get over there without how many fish do you have and what are yeah. you doing and why are you here? You got a gun? No, you're not in. Yeah.
1: So that was one of the first things. Now, basically, as I've, you've already pointed out, I am an American citizen, but I am a permanent resident in Canada. The problem was all my family's in, in the United States, as Bob knows, uh, and all my vacations generally tend to be in the United States. I can't go to the United States and then basically try to get back into Canada. They put me on a 14 day quarantine, you know, self quarantine, but you're expected to, to stay in. And there is such a good civil attitude here that I don't think anybody would not do that. I have had some friends coming back from Florida in April You know, and they came back and went across the border. And as soon as they got across the border, they went directly home and and their friends brought them food. They did not go out at all for 14 days. That's Canadian. That's Canada. That's the way they do things. Uh, because there's that civil, as I said, attitude, great way of dealing things. So now, That's why people man, like
0: Canadians, by the way, <laughs> when you travel around the planet. I, a, I, I mean, I, I have a tendency to try to pretend I'm Canadian when I was yeah. traveling. I'd you know, be scuba diving in
2: other countries like, I'm from Canada. Eh? Yeah, Well, that, you, that may or
1: may not work. <laughs> it, well, you're not truly
2: Canadian because you haven't apologized yet. So yeah. that's the difference, <laughs> right?
1: But I am sorry to tell you that <laughs> that, that looking in, in ter- towards America, we 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 just shake our heads. And and, and hey, there was a very famous um, uh, artist, you know, one of these car- uh, opinion cartoon artists. He shows the beaver, which is the symbol of Canada, and they have a gate. <laughs> Basically, he's pushing up against the gate, and on the other side you see all these Americans doing waving well, flags or. You know, yelling at each other is that we don't want you at this point we don't, don't come we'll, we'll wait until you guys figure out what it is you're going to be doing so it is not a good thing to look from here down towards the United States we we think you you have made your your share of mistakes to say the least
2: well our, our uh, site that we have now that Bob's got up is about schools can you give us an idea about what you guys are doing about schools uh, because clearly we didn't get that and we are just forcing an issue that's only making it worse it's showing up now on all these schools that people have to do self quarantine and they didn't do it right. So what, what are you guys doing with schools? That's been successful.
1: Well, um, most of the universities are going to be starting out as virtual. Uh, and you know, so, because they, they just don't see how they can do it otherwise at this point, they're still working on it. Hmm. The, uh, elementary and secondary schools, you know, the K through uh, 12th grade, uh, that, they're looking each district making some decisions, but generally speaking, the rules from the from the um, from the um, Ontario Ministry of Education is we're looking to have in school or in class type of, of work. You can do that once you flatten the curve. Right. You see, that's the big difference. If you haven't flattened the curve, there's no way they would be doing this. Uh, so, but they are looking at it, and, and there's, there's you know there are rules. There's the the temperature check every day. There's going to be the wearing of the mask for all kids uh, uh, older than six. Uh, there's going to be um, teacher uh, evaluations on a, on, a, on a weekly basis as to whether or not they have any symptoms. Uh, they're, they're working on, on, on separation in classrooms, which is very, very difficult, particularly for mm-hmm. young kids. Uh, Just by so the design,
0: right? I mean, yeah. schools, aren't, schools are designed to pack them in tight spaces.
1: So they're talking about, you know, maybe split sessions which you, you guys might remember from our early days when the baby boomers went through schools. You would have a morning session for half the school and an afternoon session for the other half of the school. So you're talking about some of that and some of the larger, um, like Toronto uh, in here, come back and things like that. So I think it, 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 it's really a key that you flatten the curve first. If you don't do that, then none of this is going to work. You're going to have more of a spread than you have had before. So that's the difference is that we were able to do that. It was stringent, it, it, made, it was uncomfortable, it drove me crazy to sit around my house all day long. But, you know, here I am trying to go into retirement and I'm, you know, I'm not even able to do much in the way of walking or go to the movies or you know, go see a, 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 you know, a, a bar or a restaurant I wanna to go to. So it was difficult, but we're making it through. And I think that will pay off in September well we may have a few cases but it will be a lot less than what we're seeing in the United States.
0: Well your healthcare system has to play part of a, part of a role there to having a national healthcare system, right? Yes. Whereas you know people aren't going to shy away from actually getting treated.
1: Well, that's interesting. Uh, or, or
0: are they? I mean it, it's it, it's got to be a different perspective than a pay to play healthcare like we have here.
1: Absolutely. But keep in mind that one of the places where there was a lot of sick people with COVID-19 were uh, hospitals so a lot of operations, you know, a lot of, you know, elective opera, op, op, operations or even in some cases, you know, needed op, op, operations were halted for a period of time. Uh, you, weren't ex- you weren't going to go see a doctor. You weren't going to see going to the hospital. You still, I mean, if you were ill, you, you should be going there. But a lot of people were saying, I want the COVID-19 people to go to the hospitals. I'll stay here and I'll deal with the cold. I'll deal with the flu, whatever it might be. So there was a little bit of a switch, but that's changing now back again because the beds are freeing up. There's not as many beds available uh, for, you know, as as they thought they needed to have. They they now have uh, beds available for ordinary operations or, you know, as I said, elective surgery or or necessary surgery. So that that's happening. And again, you're right, because you're not paying for it. It's not it isn't quite as difficult to say uh, I'll postpone it three months, you know, because you know, I, I can deal with that for the three months and then I'll get, I'll get it done. I hadn't been to a dentist until very recently uh, for six months, well, about five months. And, um, I, you know, that was the first time i had in there. And he had all the apparatus he needed to, you know, prevent any type of uh, exposure. He was talking about UVGI, getting that in there as well. And so mm-hmm. he, he's putting in his money to do that type of thing because there's no other choice. And money of that is going to continue. That's not going to change. Going to a doctor's office is going to be different than it ever was before. You're not going to be sitting in a room with a whole bunch of sick people. All right. You're going to to see a lot more
0: telemedicine here in the States, too. Just uh, Dr. John Charles, who we had on uh, several months back, was actually my general practitioner. You know, he's it was unheard of before this thing. He wasn't doing uh, video teleconferencing for medical. That's
1: happening, too, but not as quickly as it is in the States. But what I think that's a reflection of the fact that it is a bureaucratic system. Uh, So they have to get used to how do you charge for that, you know, things of that nature. And that is the doctors still want to be paid. You know, see, all doctors in in in, in Canada are, are paid through the province, so you have you know you have a different way of perspective in, in in their regard. And when when we talk to our doctor, you know, he says, "Sure, I will see you, but you have to be here at three fifteen in the afternoon. You can't be here at three thirty. You can't be here at three o'clock." So you're going to have that kind of of uh, interaction that I think with the with the physicians now going forward. So yes, it is different, but I think of the the key thing was that they work together, the federal government and the provincial governments work together and flatten the curve, which allows so many more opportunities to do other things now.
2: So a minute ago, you talked about that we are now 10 years ahead of our normal uh, process. Can you elaborate on this or tell us, here's some of the things we learned from the the COVID experience or these things, this is how fast we just jumped ahead and what are some of those right well
1: i mean i mentioned amazon i mean mean, if you follow amazon in terms of its stock its stock is just skyrocketing uh but you see that that type of i mean here in in uh, ottawa uh they the amazon people in 2018 built a 1.2 million square foot warehouse okay in ottawa yeah, okay. wait, but I'm going to
2: I'm going to redirect you only. Let's talk about the industry because we're all we're all aware of okay. Amazon and the all monster. Right. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, okay, right.
1: I, OK, I get you what you're saying. I think the, the industry is, is moving ahead because I think a lot of people in this industry are going to be doing virtual uh, inspections. You're going to mm-hmm. ask your, you're going to ask your your client to show you where the problem is. All right. What, what are you talking about? I'm talking about this particular room and it, I can't stand. I don't know what that what that stuff is growing on the walls. You're going to do a lot more virtual type of, of, of inspections in that so like Virtual
0: triage is what you're almost.
1: Yeah. yeah. Do I need to be there? Not necessarily, but I can look at it for you and, and make a determination. I'm, I'm getting a lot of those types of phone calls, even though I'm retired. Um, I see a change in the perspective about healthy buildings. I think people are going to want to have healthy buildings as part of what they look for in a new building. We, you know, we used to call them green buildings or lead buildings. It's not gonna be just focused on, on energy savings. It's gonna be focused on indoor air quality and the changes that people expect in order for them to go back. I mean, you're seeing the, uh, uh, the emptying out of office buildings in midtown Manhattan. I mean, they're just, you know, Google says you can work from home forever. Well, why would you ever go back to commuting? You know, I did that commute in New York City and it's not much fun. Uh, so you stay home. So the change then is, are we really protecting the people at home, you know, how are they, their office is going to be operated? What kind of exposures might they be, you know, be involved with? How do we inspect for that? How do yeah, we the ensure? home office? Yeah, yeah. yeah, how do we ensure for that? You know, how do you deal with workers compensation? I mean, somebody could slip and fall and break a leg. I mean, how do you deal with that? Uh, oh, that's, that's part of occupational safety and health, Joe. So I, mm. but from an occupational health viewpoint, you know, you're dealing with with cramped spaces, probably not a great deal of ventilation. You're probably also dealing with, in some cases, some chemicals, uh, things of that nature that you wouldn't necessarily deal with in in an office building. That's going to be different. And then the whole school thing, I mean, one of my biggest uh, clients when I was working as a consultant were the school districts. They were constantly having problems with indoor air quality. Teachers are complaining about that. Well, if you're doing more virtual, that, that may be reduced. Or it may be increased if you're doing split sessions because now you have teachers working in the morning and then you have a second set working in the afternoon where are they going to all fit in? How, what some of these facilities are just not designed for that kind of, mm-hmm. of activity. And that will add up to more indoor air quality problems, more problems with with, uh, with people uh, feeling uncomfortable rather than, you know, real sick in that regard. But com- com- comfort is a big part of what we're going to be dealing with going forward. And, and a lot of people are not going to be comfortable working in these types of buildings. We have to be in a position as an industry to provide certain, uh, you know, information to people so they feel comfortable going back to their buildings otherwise they're never going to go back and now now what happens you know you have a collapse of of real estate in the middle of uh, a large city that's not going to happen that's not going to play very well
0: but some of that i think inherently some of that's going to happen right don because i mean jobs jobs that don't require like obviously the manufacturing jobs the actual field service jobs where you have to go out you know those are jobs where people can't telecommute and video commute from home but a lot of administrative tasks and a lot of you know sales and all all of that can be accomplished this way so does it really going forward isn't there going to be a paradigm shift in commercial office space companies aren't going to need these gazillion square foot office spaces anymore because they're paying a lot more money for it look at the, the utility costs I mean, they're going to you know there's actually going to be an inherent savings to the companies that would have leased that space now i, I see where your problem is is in the, the actual commercial real estate market could be devastating I think well, you're going to yeah. see a lot of four, four lease uh, signs up.
1: Well, and what, what is going to replace the offices? I mean, basically, are you going to be dealing with uh, tele, you know, these, uh, these folks that are doing uh, telemarketing? Can you imagine that you know, they'll take over a large office building and pile as many people in there as they can to basically operate telemarketing, have people calling? You know? All of that is going to change in, in terms of the way in which people are going to operate. <sighs> You know, no, you no, just I just
0: raised yeah. a horrible thought.
2: No, no, no. I think these commercial spaces are going to move into the living quarters, is what yeah. their easy transition is that you know, I don't want to commute. I'll just live downtown, and now I can actually mm-hmm. live and work in my own facility, or I walk across the hall to a potential office space. I think you're going to see this combination of like, I live here and I have or rent or use an office area because my mm-hmm. um, apartment doesn't accommodate that. So I think that these buildings have to readapt to, um, you know, the, the living gap that's out there. And people want to transition either out of the city or they want to transfer somewhere where I don't have to deal with that commute or other challenges. But isn't
0: that going ra- to even raise an issue like for, for design, like, designing uh, living spaces, multi, you know, uh, rental properties, condos, or even single family residences. It seems like now you're going to want to incorporate home office spaces that are somewhat insulated mm-hmm. for sound. And, you know, so you don't have screaming children and barking dogs and you're trying to be on a conference call.
1: Yeah, well, that's going to happen, but it's happening 10 years before it was scheduled to happen. Mm-hmm. Now it's happening now. And, and, and I think that, that you're right. We're going to see different designs for, for new homes and retrofits for older homes. So I have, I have as I already mentioned, my wife and I and, and the stepson, we all have our own computer space all right, in different parts of the, of the house. We're talking mm-hmm. a, a, you know, a free bedroom house. Where do you put everybody? You know, and, and that's, that's going to be different in terms of what we do as an industry. How do we, how do we address those problems that people are gonna have? Ergonomic problems, problems with, with lighting, problems with noise. Ventilation, with ventilation. ventilation. Yeah, mm-hmm. these, are, these are things that are gonna be focused. So if they do what you said, Joe, and they start converting some of these buildings, office buildings, some of those buildings will be converted well.
0: Mm-hmm. Some
1: of them will not be converted well. And I can tell you from previous experience working in New York City, when they started convert like places like Soho or Tribeca, or some of these other areas, there were enormous problems with trying to do those conversions and get people to feel comfortable with living. Well, the
0: mechanical situations. systems, right? Because yeah. unless you yeah. redesign mechanical, which that becomes really like almost a gut rehab when you start ripping, you know, if ductwork no, is yeah, in case, no, that's, that's, already a, that's a big a, yeah. thing.
2: There was a that's Wall Street Journal article about um, how architects are already changing their concepts. They were they were adding elevators so people have to wait less, whatever. I'm like that, that's that. I think that was a waste of money personally. People really aren't going to care about that, but they do want to know that their house is their their environment, their unit is ventilated, isolated and 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 those are the kind of things that people want so i do think though that we're going to be in this this paradigm shift as like working from home and doing all that but it will not last this is not a permanent thing we just like to get together we like to you know be in the room with others i think this is about a two to three year kind of condition and we're going to be like i need to get a regional office i need to go somewhere so i can get to with my co-workers we need to get back to you know talking in the environment together so i think it is a it's a condition now that everybody's like this is great but as most things happen we we're like no no I need more physical contact with my colleagues to uh, interact quickly and live. So I think that there'll be a time when we're not going to go back to where it was, but maybe it's a separation of you know, what more people live in one area that has a regional office facility and there's multiples of that or something. There's going to be something we're going to need to do to get back to physical contact.
1: I, I, I absolutely agree with you, but on a two to three day uh, basis. There's no reason yes. to have a five day basis right. in another nope.
2: office. Right. But no, or just the ability to go do that. Like, okay, every yeah. Tuesday we all get yeah. together for four hours, right? Exactly. Whatever that is. That's yeah, that's right. But we need that.
1: that I mean but that, uh, that's now makes multiple workplaces.
2: Yes. Multiple workplaces. That's that's true too, right? There's gonna yeah, there's so gonna be more to
0: multi-purpose. With... But I think it's gonna blur the lines a little. So so yeah. for me personally, so I, I've worked from home, you know, with my uh, my Consulting and remediation company over the years, IQ Technologies worked out of my home. You know, I have a commercial building in the back; it's a warehouse. You know, I'm fortunate enough that I have a 12-acre 12, 12 property I can do that. And you know, we had an, a detached two-story garage that was converted to an office for the company. Now, since we've transitioned into the magazine doing all this stuff, this office now, this two-story building, is now a video studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's literally across my driveway, so my commute is a 70-foot walk across the driveway into the studio. Yeah. Um, and, and now I spend more of my time in the kitchen with a notebook computer. I don't even leave my, I don't even walk <laughs> the 70 feet anymore oh, unless man. I have to do the show. I tend to sit and, you know, my wife's like, why do you always have to work in here? And you have to, you know, and you, it's like, because I like looking at the birds and the deer and everything. It's a nice place to be.
1: <laughs> well, and, and in addition to that, the, the answer to the other uh, situation, Joe, that you were talking about is, but we have like to socialize. Yes. we like to socialize on a limited basis. In mm-hmm. other words, we, we want to go out to where the you know to see a play or go to a movie or go to the bar, or go to a restaurant, but then we want to go home. Okay. We don't want to spend it all you know all day out there. So there'll be spaces, you know, they'll maybe be artificial to some extent, but there'll be places where you can go to old town or or to you know movie town or whatever you want to call it, artificial <laughs> new spaces where we can socialize, but most of our time will still be back in the house and we'll be yeah. working a lot out of the house. And that will yeah. probably end up being multiple. Workplaces that have to be evaluated for workers' comp have to be evaluated for mm. ventilation, for lighting. Yeah, because that,
0: yeah, that raises a liability issue. Because if you're working for your employer from home, it, you're potentially uh, open to a workers' comp thing, but in your own house. Yeah.
1: So those are the type of things that yeah. our industry will have to address in terms of inspections and things of that nature. And we haven't we haven't got there yet, but I think we will, and, and it will take some time. But I think the younger people are very much aware of what's going to be happening because they're already doing that for schools. I kind of think that they'll be moving into why do I have to go to this office in five days a week? They're not going to do that. They're going to figure out another way to work.
2: So I have to pause this. It is, that's uh, my role, yep. right? Yep. Um, is that time? Uh, I'd we? Go forever. To quick... I'd go forever. I know. Last, last topic. Week,
0: yeah. I, although you did, may not have watched the recording from last week's show, but we did end on time. So I, I'm capable of looking at a clock without you. I just want you to know that.
2: <laughs> right. Okay, great. So uh, at this time, we're going to do a quick wrap up. But uh, Don, I'd like for you to talk, let's bring uh, ACGIH back into the role mm-hmm. as to like, these are a lot of things that are happening. We just talked about, about occupancies and a variety of levels. Um, describe uh, what ACGIH's role is and will be as we figure out some of these challenges?
1: Well, I think the, the main thing is still the TLDs, the threshold limit values. I think they're going to be, they've lasted this long, almost well a little bit more than 80 years. So I think that, that that's going to be something that we're going to be known for and continue to do. But I think we're going to be moving more into some of the physical and to the biological part of it as well. And I think that's going to change as time goes on, because we have to, that's what people are going to be interested in. So ACGIH, I think will progress along that lines. As well, but you know, as I said, we, we're 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 doing transition right now. We really never set up before to do virtual uh, training, and now we've come up with this summer series of of, of uh, webinars. And we're going to eventually have to do the the fundamentals of industrial ventilation by by, uh, by by some kind of mechanism of that nature. So we'll figure it out, but it's going to take some time. And I think that's true for all associations. I, I'm just thinking the other day what hap- what, what happens to the ash. You, you've been to the ashray uh, winter show, Bob. I- Maybe you have too,
0: Joe. How are they gonna do this expo? Oh, AHR expo? Yeah. yeah we're normally a sixty to seventy thousand attendees. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: How are they gonna do that?
0: Because the appeal, it's it you it's really hard to do with a virtual because again, we produce, you know, we pr- produce online events with healthy indoors for organizations, smaller scale, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. 30, 40 vendors, not you know, thirty thirty four hundred vendors or three thousand vendors. I don't know how you do that in a virtual environment and make it anything other than
2: just a madhouse. And it's to a to big, it
1: big, big, it's a big part of their income.
2: Yeah. Yeah. knew I mean, they're going yeah, to do a significant staging and a variety of other stuff and, you know, hand out masks. People may not wear them, but, um, and they're going to ventilate the heck out of that space. That, uh, like, yeah, but but that, I think
0: yeah. initially they're, they're going online though, aren't they? Isn't it? Well, isn't they the went summer?
1: online for their, for their, for their courses. They went online for the, but you can't do that for the expo. If it's a much right. of your thing, you know? Like, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, it's, it's tough, right? But it's also, think about what that is though. That's 60, 70,000 people from around the planet all congregating together. It's a freaking Petri dish.
2: Well, yeah. right now there's 250,000 250, motorcyclists in uh, <laughs> the Dakota. So I mean, you know, yeah, right. So let, let's put it in perspective as to what's really happening hey, we've, here. We've got yeah.
0: sheriffs, sher- uh, a sheriff yesterday in uh, Florida, yeah, Florida banned his right. deputies from wearing masks. They're not allowed to wear masks.
2: Or people yeah. coming into the office and are allowed to wear masks. Either. Yeah,
0: yeah. If you yeah. come into the sheriff's office in this county, and I can't remember where it is, you can't wear a mask when you come into the office. It's like, oh, are well. you kidding? You're not allowed to. <laughs>
2: So wait, so the one thing that I did get out of this, correct me, Don, is that the new BioAerosol Assessment and, and Controls will be a comic book? Is that what you had mentioned earlier? Uh, that <laughs> well, if,
1: if only if I can use your face as one of my characters.
2: Sure, why not? <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I would love to, I, you know, I would keep that book on my nightstand if I had Joe Madosh's face on it. <laughs>
1: I'll keep that in okay. mind. I'll keep okay. that in mind. No, I, I think that it's going to be uh, an interesting transition, and I think uh, that your type of show is going to be the thing that people are going to go to to get more information as time goes on. So congratulations on your seventh year. In wow, publication. Isn't that
0: crazy? Yeah. So and I didn't. Did I mention that? So Don was the cover story mm-hmm. um, of the inaugural issue of Healthy Indoors Magazine back in August 2013. And this is the funny part. I last week erroneously told Corbett Lunsford that it was the anniversary of the magazine. And I actually checked. It was the anniversary of uploading the links to the Internet, but not when we actually officially released. It actually is today. It was the 13th of August that we launched Healthy Indoors in 2013. So this is, you know, whoo, I should have had a birthday cake or a party popper <laughs> or something. Uh, but, you know, and here we're still here. And yeah. so, you know, and, and again, it, it, it's interesting, right? I mean, a lot of changes over, in a lot of changes. And then a lot of things have kind of stayed the same other than the pandemic.
1: we just gotten older, but bit better looking. That's
0: all. Is that what it is? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for pointing it out. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. All right. So um, so uh, let's – quick plug for Joe. Um, Joe uh, is involved with Hayward Score, which is a free – well, t- tell us about it. It's a free home evaluation uh, that you can do yeah, online.
2: Yeah. T- yeah, it's a free online assessment of your um, uh, the benefits and risks that you may be living in. So um, it takes about 10 to 15 minutes, and we give you some uh, personalized recommendations about how to improve ventilation. That's one of our greatest priorities. And uh, some DIY, some things maybe a contractor may be able to help you with or uh, a good handyman. There's a variety of levels that are in there. But in general, just by taking the survey itself, you learn a lot about your home and how it could be, especially now, how much it could be impacting you or being a, a positive shelter in your life. So uh, HaywardScore.com And there's lots of great resources there on, uh, make your own, uh, air purifier with a box fan and a filter. So, uh, some great information there. Thanks.
0: So healthy indoors magazine, uh, is, a uh... As well as the Healthy Indoors show are available at healthyindoors.com. Um, obviously, we're free. It's a free uh, digital monthly publication. Um, we're releasing literally in a few weeks uh, Healthy Indoors Global, which will be a quarterly di- a digital publication. Um, so soon, that's coming out soon. But Healthy Indoors magazine at healthyindoors.com. Um, constant news. Uh, we try to follow uh, the news that's related to indoor environments. Um, We have a back-to-school issue, the July uh, 2020 issue Healthy Indoors is all about back-to-school, and um, of course, the Healthy Indoors show. Joe's doing a great job of flipping through this. Um, You can see all the back recordings. We've been doing this show weekly live as a live stream uh, since March, really since the the onset of the COVID thing. We went from a monthly recording to a live thing, and we have a podcast. Because If you can't bear to look at mine and Joe's and all of our uh, glorious guests' beautiful faces, you can still listen to our golden voices um, and as you uh commute uh i guess to the grocery store because you're probably not commuting to work anymore (laughs) (laughs) so so with that i really uh yeah like oh there you go acgih so that's their website come and join can you join if you're not an industrial hygienist
1: yes absolutely we uh
0: You'll We're take anybody's to... money, right? <laughs> I'll take your money. Yeah. Well, you, you
1: I can't join to... any.
0: I can't join any organization that would have me as a member.
1: Yeah, that's a great <laughs> groucho Marx. Uh, I know, right? Uh, but yeah, we, we we do take on. Uh, you know, well, well, the main thing is that if you're interested, you should definitely apply, and uh, there'll be a space for you in either a technical committee or just you know be a member and get the uh, great information that they they send out. They have a weekly uh, publication that uh, uh, that uh, is. Uh, Put out by uh, um, Phil Rauscher, who's their uh, technical director. Uh, so you can get that type of information on a weekly basis, and, and obviously there's additional publications and other discounts that you can get. All their uh, books now are on PDF. You can get that from, uh, oh. uh, you know, from um, I forget TechStreet.com. Uh, they'll direct you from the ACGIH website to to Tech TechStreet, and you can buy that and, and download that immediately.
0: Excellent. Well, I guess with that, it's uh, it's time to bid adieu. So I want to thank Donald Weeks uh, from coming to us from the Great White North, uh, from uh, on, uh, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Um, you don't really seem retired, my friend. I mean, with what's on your plate? It's like you're president of a freaking global organization. You're editing the revision of a book. It's like. Yeah, okay, you're retired. Uh,
1: <laughs> I don't have, you know, have to worry about uh, getting fed. That's the main thing.
0: <laughs> you know, and there, and there you go. So that, that's fantastic. So it's always a pleasure to spend some time with you. And uh, thanks again for joining us. So uh, for the Healthy Indoors Show, until next time, we'll be here next Thursday, uh, 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, HealthyIndoors.com and a host of other places. We're also streaming live on LinkedIn now. Um, so for the Healthy Indoors Show and Healthy Indoors Magazine, I'm Bob Krell. Thanks so very much for joining us, and we will see you again soon.